As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. the latest edition of The Audible, presented by Trader Joe's. I'm Bruce Feldman, joined as always by my colleague Stuart Mandel, and we are taping this about an hour after uh, a pretty stunning performance by Ohio State crushing Clemson in the semifinal game, and so we both had two games. They were both blowouts, but the second one didn't go the way anybody thought, right, Stu? Yeah, two blowouts. One felt like the game you expected, Alabama-Notre Dame. The other one, never in a, in a million years did I think it would play out that way. And maybe that's my bad. Maybe I should have had more faith in the Buckeyes, though having only seen them six times, having only seen them play um, a couple big games, nobody could have seen that coming. Nobody could have seen six touchdowns from Justin Fields and just an absolutely dominant performance. I think the thing I most underestimated was just how much fuel they were playing with from the, um, for, at the very least from last year's game, that they've been holding on to this for 12 months. Um, whether Dabo's ballot played a role, who's to say? But clearly, it was one of those situations where a team just comes out on fire. I hesitate to go down this road uh, with you, but uh, I'm going to go there. Um, Look, you know what? Justin Fields was pretty fantastic for the first three games of the season, albeit against lesser competition. And then he had that three-pick game against Indiana, who's a a good team. It was probably the best team they played all season. And then they played in the Big Ten Championship game. They played a really good defense at Northwestern. And he looked like he lost confidence. Now, I, I don't know that, but he just, there was no Chris Olave, who is their best receiver. And Trey Sermon ran the ball like he'd never run before and looked great. And But the passing game was left a lot to be desired to the point where uh, a lot of people were saying, hey, Zach Wilson's now the, the number two pick quarterback guy in the draft behind Trevor Lawrence. 
Now you fast forward after this, and I'm talking to different people in football circles who are coaches, and they're like, this discussion's going to be really interesting now. It's what the Jaguars may have between Trevor Lawrence and Justin Fields. So just like, and this, Justin Fields was phenomenal tonight, especially after taking a big shot in the ribs from James Skalski that ended up being targeting, and Skalski got uh, ejected from another playoff game, just like he did last year against LSU. But, I mean, these were some deep shots that he was throwing downfield. I just thought uh, Ohio State looked, looked terrific on really on both sides of the ball. I think they looked better than they had on defense this year, given the competition. But the 180 on Justin Field from where he was, where people felt about him uh, after the Northwestern game, I mean... Am I understating that? Am I overstating that? I mean, are you seeing the same thing I'm seeing? Well, a lot of people were panicking about him after the Northwestern game. And, well, I would say with the three interceptions against Indiana and then the way he looked against Northwestern. But how much of it do you just think is with Ohio State, you know, not only have they not played as many games, so they hadn't had uh, as much time to figure their team out. Uh, Like Trey Sermon wasn't even a factor until the last game and now he's he's had two huge games back to back but then they got chris olave back he missed the title game uh i mean they've had dating back to i can't even keep track now of which week it was when they had their COVID outbreak but and they had to cancel a game but i mean they've had guys obviously going in and out of um the 21 day uh quarantine that is now what 17 days um like they, Ryan Day was was out at one point. Like they, it may just be a case of they finally got their whole team together at once. Um, and they actually didn't, though, Stu. They were without three starters. Um, you know, Harry Miller's one of their better offensive linemen. They were without a couple of defensive linemen. They were without Master Teague, who's I don't want to say a forgotten man because that's not fair to him. But the way Trey Sermon, Trey Sermon's all of a sudden turned into the same. The same version that we saw Ezekiel, Ezekiel Elliott. He is by pulling the, way, the Ezekiel who, Elliott. Yeah, Ezekiel Elliott, who was not even like in all conference, like honorable mention or second team all conference of the Big Ten the year they won the title because he just went wild in the three postseason games. And and now we're seeing Trey Sermon do that. I mean, Trey Sermon looks like they, they got Adrian Peterson to transfer from Oklahoma, you know, compared to like, you know, yeah. he's. Elevated his game to ridiculous proportions. Now, I will say this because I feel like of the two of us, and I'm believe me, I'm not trying to pat myself on the back here. Um, I feel like of the two of us, I was a little more of a believer in, have been a little more of a believer in Justin Fields maybe than you were as at least as a passer. And I think some of that honestly stems from hearing all the Elite Eleven guys and seeing them there, where they raved about him in ways to a degree that they said he's probably the most talented player they've had come through there. Um, or quarterback, and he looked like that guy tonight. I mean, this was the he's had some great performances because obviously the numbers he put up last year and for at times this year. But I mean, on that stage, the one thing and, and that jumped out at me, and you and I were both at the national title game in that stadium a year ago, was when it was head to head because Trevor Lawrence looked fantastic when he shredded Alabama as a true freshman. And that's when 
the hype and every, I would say it's that's when all of a sudden everybody fell in love with Trevor Lawrence and hey he's going to be the first pick in the draft in a couple of years from now and he's done nothing to, to undermine that he's been terrific off the field he's been terrific on the field but Joe Burrow really was like you know outshined him last year in that head-to-head and certainly uh, you know what Justin Fields did today was just kind of was it was an amazing performance. Now they didn't win a national title yet, but before we get to that, I mean, man, this was this was quite a show from Ohio State. Like I think this is the most impressive Ohio State has looked in years on a big stage, right? I can't think of anything like this. I think that the 2019 season seems so long ago now that we've already forgotten that Justin Fields was insanely good last year. He had 41 touchdowns and three interceptions. And the third interception was at the end of the last game of the season, right? So, uh, I mean, they were just dominant last year with Chase Young and um, and and J.K. Dobbins, and it, you know that was a great team, and that's why they were highly ranked coming into this season. Is the assumption that Fields would would be even better and they would take the next step, and then you had to, but then you had to wait so long to even see their first game, and um, basically like every game became that much more magnified. So. Um, I do think that it shouldn't be overlooked that uh, the common, I mean, for, for both Fields and Trey Sermon to step up in the way they did, that offensive line is, that Ohio State offensive line, even without one of the starters, was just absolutely dominant um, against Clemson. Those are some really good D linemen Clemson has up front. And they never got to, I mean, they never got to Fields other than obviously that Skalski tackle, but that wasn't a, I don't think an offensive line breakdown kind of situation. Um, and then the running game. I mean, the at one point the stat was that Trey Sermon had, I don't I don't remember the number, but some insanely high number of yards before contact. So opening big holes for him. Well, I don't think he got touched on the one touchdown run that I don't know it was like thirty five yards because I saw ESPN obviously on the highlight they had one of those little counters yards and it was like three point three three point you know it was like just going ticking. And all of a sudden, I was like, wait, he didn't even get touched on that touchdown run. There was a big hole, and he just burst right through it. And, yeah, I mean, just just on a lot of levels, um, it was, as you said, you used the word dominant. And I think, you know, what was different is when you see the team that you that everyone thinks is going to win get dominated, it becomes a riveting game because you just kept on thinking, okay, Clemson's going to turn it on. And every time they kind of, it felt like every time they threw a punch at Ohio State, Ohio State countered with like two haymakers that landed, you know, and just, um, I don't know, it was just a, just an amazing performance. And again, I, I, what you said, you know, the numbers of, of Justin Fields last year were eye-popping. I still, and again, I mean, to me, right, like Chase Young was a, was such a dominant force what jumped out at me again, and maybe I, it's been, it feels like it's been so long ago that there wasn't the this kind of a performance, like where it was like they feel like like that team was really good and it was really talented. And you felt like they were as, as talented as anybody. This one, you know, when you looked at it, is like there is no Chase Young. Um, the secondary had, was exposed somewhat at Indiana, right and. By a good, by a good, you know, quarterback and good receivers, but this one it just didn't feel like okay. This isn't anywhere near as good a defense. It's not as talented. 
Um, but what, what I've seen, especially like two of the inside guys, Tommy Togia, I remember I did a story on Tom, on Tommy Togia in the pandemic because of his off field work that he did at home in Idaho. And I was like, wow, this is a really cool kid, what he's doing. But it wasn't like, aside from the fact that he's super strong in the weight room, he'd, nope, he'd never been like a guy the NFL was buzzing about. Haskell Garrett was a guy who had, you know, we was in the news cause he got shot in the, um, at, at one point in the face and thankfully he recovered and he's turned out to have a, a fantastic year so you've had guys who have kind of blossomed there um i don't know it's, it's just like a very i don't even know how to describe it and i got, i'm definitely got a case of recency bias because i know we got to talk at some point about about alabama notre dame but i was just like watching that performance just kind of like was just a jolt because i just it's not like you didn't see Ohio State had it, but you very rarely see a team play its best game of the year on the biggest stage. And again, maybe a lot of it has to do with what you said before about you know the the score was everywhere for them to see in the weight room all year round, and then Dabo's comments of having them eleventh and how he kind of explained them and everything else. And I just think that in a lot of ways, because this year has been so exhausting for everybody and certainly for people there because whether they were gonna whether Ohio State was going to qualify or not qualify to even play in the conference title game and whether we're gonna have a season so I can only imagine the emotional uh, you know dump that is going on for a lot of the people on that team whether it's players or coaches or staff must be pretty overwhelming right now yeah I mean every hurdle you can possibly concoct to, to throw in somebody's season they, they've had it and it may be that they're just now coming out the other side of it you know I don't I don't know what to expect next time we see if, you know in the Alabama game is it going to be just they pick up where they left off in this game or was this a perfect storm kind of game it's 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 hard to say it does remind me though a lot of 2014 now you don't have the you don't have a parallel to the third string quarterback and Cardell Jones having to come in. Like, nobody thought they were going to beat Alabama because they were playing with their third string quarterback that year. But, um, but it was similar in that the 59, nothing win over uh, Wisconsin seemingly came out of nowhere for that team that year. And then they just, and then they just kept rolling. And um, I don't know, sometimes teams find their identity late in the season. Clemson is a team that I think did, it may seem weird to say this because obviously you say, well, what's Clemson's identity? Trevor Lawrence and Travis Etienne. But this team wasn't, it was, it was never, um, what am I trying to say here? It just never felt like a finished product. Um, now they had their own hiccups with, with Trevor Lawrence himself missing two games when he tested positive and um, a lot of injuries on defense uh, for a good chunk of the season. But I just never felt like I knew exactly what this team was about. Um, they didn't have the same receivers that you thought they were going to have coming into the season. Uh, I think they did the best with what they had, but they ran into a team in Ohio State that, um, you know, one of the few teams that can match them from a talent perspective. And look, Trevor Lawrence threw for 400 yards, but not, it was a very quiet 400 yards is the best way to put it. Like they weren't, he wasn't hitting the kind of, home run plays that when you think of um, Dabo's national title teams and when it was Deshaun Watson to Mike Williams or or Trevor Lawrence to, to Justin Ross or to T Higgins they they just weren't they weren't it's a different offense this year and I do think that part of it is they don't have a very good offensive line and Ohio State exploited that 
Well, also, you know, Travis Etienne really wasn't. He had a couple of nice plays in the pass game early, but he was really not a factor in the run game at all. I mean, 10 carries, 32 yards was basically just completely he neutralized. He was cramping up, it's, it, it, which they, you know, it, it was, they never really explained what was going on there, but he, he kept having to go to the sideline. Yeah, it was, um, I don't know. It just, it was an interesting it was an interesting game to watch because it was like at one point it was like, okay, here we go. And then all of a sudden Ohio State took a couple of punches and then it was 14 to 14. Then all of a sudden, you know, in some ways, and I was not, I was at the other semifinal game when, when Ohio State beat Alabama. But it felt, you know, in terms of like, okay, they're going to make this a game. And then all of a sudden it was like, no, they're actually going to hit the gas and they're going to leave the other team in the dust, which is kind of what happened what I, at least what I remember happening watching on TV, I think I was at the Rose Bowl and watching the Sugar Bowl, I guess it would have been, when Alabama just couldn't keep up with, with Ezekiel Elliott that night. And that's kind of what it felt like. You know, like I said, Justin Fields kept on delivering, and then the run game kind of, you know, I don't want to say took over, but it just like, it was, it was an overwhelming show. Now... Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Let's pivot a second. So the other game went pretty much like we had thought, right? I mean, the score wasn't on the final score wasn't a blowout, but it felt like it was never in any doubt, right? I mean, did you think at what point did you think, okay, Notre Dame has no chance to win this game? After the first Alabama touchdown? Mm-hmm. I'm not kidding. Now, I want to defend Notre Dame for a second and say I mean, Clemson lost by more points tonight than Notre Dame did. Clemson, I mean, uh, Notre Dame uh, they lost by 17. They held held Alabama to 31 points. That's the fewest points Alabama scored in two years. Alabama still dominated the game. I'm not saying this is in any, in any way a reflection that, that Alabama isn't Alabama. They obviously still are. But, you know, everybody's going to immediately go to, and Brian Kelly was asked about after the game, Notre Dame, they can't hang in the big games. That was about the best-case scenario, I think. Given how Alabama, what Alabama's done to all the other defenses it's faced, they did have one eight-minute touchdown drive, um, but that was never going. That strategy of we're just going to ball control and keep it out of their hands. I mean, you're going to have to score points at some point, and clearly they couldn't do it. But um, yeah, I mean, that game basically went went to script. And here's how much the Ohio State Clemson outcome just changed everything. I can't remember. Maybe it was you. I can't remember who I texted or TM'd late in the Alabama game and said, um, I don't, I'm not sure Clemson or Ohio State's going to have any better shot than Notre Dame did. 
And I don't think that now. I think it's suddenly a very interesting game that could go either way. Well, I think we're going to talk about the actual matchup probably in a subsequent podcast, right? Yeah. Well, we can get into it a little bit. I just want to circle back, though, for a second um, about Dabo. Um, okay. I, I think because I didn't expect Ohio State to win, it never really occurred to me until the, the game started to turn out the way it did, how much it had totally blown up in his face, the thing about the ballot. And you can say, oh, it's players don't care about that, yada, yada. But I mean, he didn't just leave them out of the top 10 for this, you know, big principled stand that he wanted to make about not playing enough games. But he just kept doubling down and doubling down and defending it and defending it. And I remember thinking, are you sure you want to do that the week you're about to play them? Like the like every time he would say that quote, you know, have another quote about it. It's like that's just another piece of bulletin board material. And then to, to just get not just lose, but get their butts kicked. It just feels like we've talked a lot about Dabo on this podcast this year. And in fact, with Ralph last week, we talked about how he has kind of, um, he's been pretty polarizing this year. He said some things that um, that have changed people's perceptions of it a little bit. And it just felt like it all came like, like, like that blowout game was um, everything blowing up in his face at once. Yeah, I guess, you know... It, it's interesting. You use the word polarized. I villainous might be the better word. Yeah, I wouldn't go that. Personally, I I don't see it. And I, I'm not somebody who has like a, a deep relationship with Dabo, so it's not that. I don't. Um, you know, I he is, and I think some of this has to do with obviously they have along with Alabama the two dominant programs in in college football right now. So he's way more visible. Um. You know, there's been times where I think he has said some things that you kind of wonder is like, okay, are you giving him the benefit of the doubt and thinking that this was maybe not intended that way? Or, you know, I think some of the comments, certainly with, um, you know, as it relate to, I don't even want to call it like athletes' rights. I don't even know how the, there's been like a bunch of stuff that, that I think have made him a, easy target um and in this case i feel like a lot of people you know he he gave ohio state enough fodder and i think there's enough people who you know we talked about this the other day on the podcast with ralph about like alabama clemson fatigue and in a weird way and i i don't know if this is just a small slice of people i've heard from or what not when i say heard from i'm talking about like i'm seeing on social media not people within football but um i feel like like it's almost like there's people who have more fatigue of of clemson went from being the hot trendy you know like up and coming upstart that people really kind of oh everybody's happy there and you know the program and everybody loved deshaun watson and what's not to love and i think that that's true and then when they beat them uh you know, there's Hunter Renfro, and that's a great, you know, story of of an underdog guy. And they were this underdog. Maybe that's what it was. And then after a while, they're not really the underdog because now there's like, uh, you know, like last year they weren't the underdog because LSU was the new thing, right? But I think they they have gone from being that underdog to somebody people, not everybody, and I don't think I'm Frank feel this way, but I think there's a lot of people who are just kind of tired of them. But I don't think it's them. 
Like tr- people like Trevor Lawrence. Tired of him? He, maybe tired of him. Yeah, he's just, not. People like Trevor Lawrence. He's not a. He's not a um, controversial figure. Uh, no, I agree. I agree. It's Dabo. Um, I think people are tired. Might be tired of Alabama because they've been dominating this sport for twelve years now. Although Nick Saban seems like he's less villainous today than he, than he used to be. Um, no, I just think Dabo says what's on his mind. He's on un, completely unfiltered. And yeah. some of the things he says aren't politically correct or rub people the wrong way. And there was just a lot of them this year. Um, and, and the point Ralph made, and I agree with in the last episode, is that this is not the year to be hung up on fairness. Um, the 2020 football season, I mean, it's frankly miraculous that we're even here sitting here right now having talked about two semifinal games that were played on time. And, and now we're moving on to the championship game. Like, it's just amazing we're here. And Dabo was, I don't know, I'm not going to say he was the only coach like this, but the most visible one, certainly, who was kind of like, like, if they were playing pickup basketball, he'd be the one calling out fouls. Like, he was, Florida State, they're, they're, they're using COVID as an excuse to, to not play us. They're ducking us. And Ohio State, they're gaming the system. They only had to play six games. And I just don't think there's a lot of sympathy for that viewpoint. Uh, it's, it's uh, I mean, you if you, if you had left Ohio State out of this playoff for that, you would have been leaving out one of the two best teams. I think we can pretty clearly say that at this point. Yeah, just looking at the box score, crazy. If I had told you Ohio State was going to put up 639 yards, and that was throttling down of some in the fourth quarter, um, advantage Ryan Day over Brent Venables. Obviously, the signal-stealing story with Brent Venables, which has been around for a while, um, looks like Ohio State had some had some alternatives that seemed to work you say it's been around for a while i maybe amongst maybe within the coaching profession but i think that it became a storyline this past week because i mean credit to first um i think pat 40 wrote the first story about brent venables and and how he i think it was that mid-season around notre yeah. dame right yeah going to that notre dame game about how he has this reputation and people people in the profession think that he's got some sort of intricate science dealing system. And then Pete Thamel had a, had one this past week that was, um, had some more candid quotes in there, I would say of people flat out accusing him of it. And that includes, I mean, I, I didn't even occur to me at first, but when Ryan day said, um, like praised Brent Venables, I guess, in one of his press conferences leading up to this, it had kind of a matter of fact insinuation in there. Where he's like, yeah, he always seems to know what's coming. Uh, Justin Fields was asked about it after the or asked he was asked after the game tonight why did Ohio State huddle more than usual, and he said, "quote because we didn't want them stealing our signals." So what's what's going on there? Well, you also saw them changing wristbands. Um, there's a couple other things. I mean, look, Brent Venables is not like he's new in the game, right? I mean, he had a lot of success. He was at Oklahoma. Um, for a for a long time and i think ohio state has an offensive coach who coached with him at oklahoma right so you know kevin wilson goes way back with brent venables i i again i don't know um the depths of some of this like when when we did our big signal stealer story a couple of years ago and i don't want to say who some of the guys who were the ones who kind of revealed some of their secrets, but it was interesting to hear 
who's really, really good at it. And you'd hear from, because coaches move around, you know. And so there were some guys I'd heard of. There was a few guys I'd never heard of. Um, and there were guys who were not, you know, who were like kind of anonymous GAs at one point who have moved on. And so I think this was a very interesting subplot. The one thing I would say, though, is at the end of the day, you know, like Justin Fields was throwing strikes, you know, like not just the two deep balls, but even, you know, throwing it through raindrops to guys and not getting it wet. Those kind of throws, you still have to to make those plays. But, um, yeah, I think this is a good one for the folklore for the very least. My thought was, I mean, basically they were saying like they think he uses analysts uh, or GAs or both to, you know, who are devoted to this. And I'm thinking, you know, Pompson's not the only program in America that has these big armies of analysts. If it's really that effective, they would all do it. Um, so, yeah, I don't I don't think it suddenly broke down tonight. Um, as far as Alabama, Notre Dame, uh, I don't think we learned anything new about Alabama. We already knew they were really good. Uh, I do think Devontae Smith, um, if you were somebody if you were somebody who voted for Devontae Smith to win the Heisman, you probably feel pretty validated because he I mean he had some just phenomenal plays in that game and including a couple where Mac Jones didn't necessarily put it in the right place and he saved it. Now Najee Harris probably had the biggest highlight of the game with that ridiculous hurdle. but you know I think if his name is called on Tuesday night and I think it will be, um, people will feel like that was the right choice. Yeah, uh, I have a feeling uh, we can't reveal our votes yet, huh? No, I, I was <laughs> during the game. It occurred to me that uh, if because of the way they timed this, if the person who won had just like, well, if Trevor Lawrence had won, and then he has the game that he had tonight. Like, that would make for a little bit of an awkward Heisman presentation on Tuesday night. But I'm pretty sure the guy who's going to be announced as the winner is his team won today. Can I ask you a question now? I think this is fair Heisman game. You have three. If you were turning it in Sunday, would Justin Fields have been in one of your three? Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, you know, I don't think I would. I can. I could do that because... As great as that game was, it didn't. You have to look at the whole season, and he didn't play well in their two other, their two biggest games of the Big Ten season. So, I no, I don't think I would include him. Would you? Um, I mean, I just spent like twenty minutes just like talking about him in glowing fashions. Yeah, gushing. Uh, I don't know. I I think I would. I I, I mean, I don't know. You know, like... Well, there's probably a lot of people who would like their Kyle Trask vote back after after the bowl game (laughs) performance the other night, though I don't think that's being entirely fair to him, given he was down his top four receivers. Yeah, he threw... Yeah, he did throw three picks early, and, you know, I don't know if you could put those on the receivers, though. I mean, as you know, Dan Mullen said that that wasn't even part of the 2020 season, that game, so so it didn't... It couldn't possibly have counted toward the voting. Yeah, it's, it's um, I don't know. It, it, Dan Mullen had a rough month between losing three in a row and getting a show cause. Just uh, He had a rough year. I mean, I don't know if I'd say rough because they 
they they beat Georgia and got to the SEC title game. And he had, you know, he, to his credit, he helped develop a, you know, a top five Heisman guy. And, um, and Kyle comments. Pitts. And, and yeah. he did a lot of great things on the field and then off the field. But then he also almost helped cause a riot during a game and um, blamed and blamed a loss on a on a limited capacity crowd. And, uh, yeah. It was, he, and he also lost to an LSU team that had oh, like 10 fewer scholarship guys than he had when they got beat by whatever it was, 35 by Oklahoma the other night. So. I, I feel like that somebody should – you know how – I don't know – I don't know if I have a great example of this off the top of my head, but it's become like a meme for people to take the One Shining Moment song and put it to a montage of misfortune of like, you know, bloopers or something. Somebody needs to do a One Shining Moment of Dan Mullen's press conference clips this season. By the way, the I have convinced now that the best college football meme I've seen of the year is definitely Trey Sermon. I cannot stop looking at the look on his face that on the camera, it was like Trey Sermon just became like one of my all-time favorite college football players. I've never said two words to him, and never and never really thought of him until like uh, uh, until a couple of weeks ago. But that meme is hilarious of just the look on his face of you know it's like every body part possible, um, you know, touch the ground in that video. Like there's been lap dances that had less contact than <laughs> than than that than him going down. <laughs> And still, he ran down and he looked at looked convincingly at the uh, at the officials, and they nodded at each other and they gave him the credit for the touchdown, something. So, um, before we move on, I do want to ask. So, I watched the clips of Brian Kelly's press conference, and he looked like he was exas- exasperated. And I don't, you know, if you're a Notre Dame fan. How do you feel about this? Because he's a, I mean, he's a really, really good coach. We do these top 25 lists every year, and Brian Kelly definitely should be in the top five. Um, and they have really good players. But I don't, you know, and he's right. Alabama's done this to almost everybody. They actually didn't do it to Florida, but, you know, was they were still, you know, it's like, we'll see if Ohio State gets closer. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. So let's let's fill people in on the quotes if they didn't see them after the game. You know, n- not surprisingly, maybe he was surprised. I don't know. He was asked a lot about how just I'll just read the exchanges here. Um, how frustrating the question was, how frustrating is it? How frustrating is it to get to a playoff again and lose by this margin? 
The margin is not the issue. Losing is losing. I don't know really what the inference is. This football team battled and they made a few more plays, they being Alabama, made a few more plays on the perimeter. I'm not sure really what the question is. When you lose football games, you know there's a few more plays that you have to make. We had the opportunity. You watched the game. I watched the game. Um, so, you know, I guess everybody needs to continue to carry this narrative that Notre Dame is not good enough. Look at the scores of the games that Alabama's played all year. And I think we need to start changing the narrative a little bit. Then somebody asks, as you look at it, you feel like the program has gotten a lot closer. What's the next step you feel like you guys could take or need to take? Uh, I don't really want to continue to go down this path. We're going to keep getting here, okay? And we're going to keep banging at it. And you guys watched the game, didn't you? They had the college football player of the year who made some dynamic plays. We battled. We were right there. So we're going to keep getting back here. And I'm sorry if you don't like it or the national media doesn't like it, but we're going to go back to work. We're going to keep recruiting. We're going to put ourselves back in this position again. Uh, I mean, I know he's got to defend the program. And, you know, what's he going to say? Like, oh, yeah, we're, we've got a ways to go. Um, but you're right. Like, if you're an Notre Dame fan who who still believes deep down that this is a program that should win the national championship, how do you feel about your coach basically coming out and saying, um, he's basically trying to say, yeah, we don't have a Devontae Smith, we don't have a Najee Harris, but we are, we're good enough that like if we caught him on the right day, we could have won, maybe. Is that, is that what you took from it? Yeah, and I'm thinking about it. It's like this Notre Dame team, and I would say it from the last, from the Jalen Smith, um, Ronnie Stanley era up. So whatever it is, I guess maybe it's the last five or six years. They've had like some special athletes, right? I mean, Ronnie Stanley is an elite talent offensive lineman. Jalen Field, Jalen Fields, Jalen uh, Smith was is you know ultra talented linebacker they've had uh kyle hamilton is as athletic as any any safety in the country i mean they have some of these guys i mean uh will fuller was as fast and dynamic as any receiver just about i mean it's not like they haven't like kyron williams a big time running back they just don't have quite enough of them right i mean like it's not like they don't have any of them it's not like you know the 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 line from, I don't even know, Joey Galloway said it, like Northwestern's a bunch of Reese Davises, you know, the inference there is like Notre Dame has has some guys who would play anywhere. Um, and they're, they've always had a bunch of good offensive linemen. They have good tight ends. Like, I don't think they're light years away from having like a team that could win a national title. I mean, they're a, they're a top five team. It's just... You know, I don't know. Like, like here's maybe this is a better way to frame it. Like, if they were playing Ohio State, if they could have somehow gotten by Alabama, I mean, let's take Alabama out of the equation. If they were playing Ohio State, and somehow it was a two-three game, let's say, let's say that it was just a, a playoff game, but it wasn't. You know, it was the first. I could see Notre Dame beating Ohio State, even after what I just saw from Ohio State. You know, now if Ohio State, if Justin Fields plays the way he did tonight, I couldn't. But, um, like, I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility. Like, I think they're a, you know, I watched, they're a, I think Notre Dame's a better team than Georgia. I think Notre Dame, Notre Dame, honestly, is a better team than Florida. Now, it's easy to say that after you've seen some of these teams get exposed some. But, like, and those teams, those teams have played with Alabama on a given night. 
right? So I just don't think they have as much margin for error, right? Like Clemson a couple of years ago had that margin for error because they had a, a defensive line that Notre Dame has not had probably in 40 years. But, um, the, you know, I, I I don't think they're like a fraud or whatever people are going to say. Like, I, they belong in the playoff to me. I mean, if you take the... Uh, yes, they belong... I mean, they, they proved... That, I know it's strange to say about a team that lost by 17, but they to me, they proved they were the fourth team. Um now it did feel like the game wasn't as close as the five, that four, that seventeen point uh, spread indicated. It didn't seem like it was. But they didn't. 17. You know, we have this convenient point of comparison this year, and that the number five team played Alabama and lost fifty two twenty four. So you have that point of comparison. Obviously, Cincinnati came close, but didn't quite pull off the win over an SEC team. So that kind of takes away their argument. Um, look. If you take away the gold helmets and all the tradition, you know, all the uh, things that make Notre Dame, Notre Dame, in terms of just their performance the last five years, how are they any different than Oklahoma, right? And people aren't, don't feel as passionate about Oklahoma, whether Oklahoma is deserving or not deserving. I mean, Oklahoma's had Heisman quarterbacks. They've got quarterbacks who are starting in the NFL right now. They've got receivers that are starting in the NFL right now. They've won six, six straight Big 12 titles. But when they had to play... Um, LSU in the champ- in the semis last year, they got their butts kicked. When they had to play um, Alabama in the playoffs two years ago, they got their butts kicked. Like, now, they almost just, beat Georgia. They did almost beat Georgia with, with Baker Mayfield. Baker. And, but, they probably should have won Georgia, that game. Or... That, I mean, to me, there's three programs, Alabama, Clemson, and Ohio State, that are just on their own playing field. And um, and that's been true in this sport there's all you can change the names, but there's always been a few programs at any given time that are the dominant programs. And Notre Dame is amongst a group that's in the next tier. So, in the grand scheme of things, like being the fourth or fifth or sixth best program in the country is pretty good. Uh, there's a lot of teams that would trade places with that, but I think that there's a pretty big gap still between them and those other three I just mentioned. And right. that's despite the that- fact they beat Clemson this year. So I don't want to take that away from them but obviously in a year in year out basis they're not they're not Clemson yet yeah I think they're a very good team I don't think they're a great team I think Alabama's a great team I'm not sure I would say that we'll we'll see if if Ohio State can prove they're a great team it means you have to have another great performance if I'm a Notre Dame fan yeah it's frustrating but I feel I would be appreciative of what we have I mean you've got it pretty good in the grand scheme of things right now they're winning double-digit games every year. They've been in the playoff two of the last three years. You can't tell me that if you fired Brian Kelly tomorrow that there's some coach out there, and Urban Meyer is not a possibility, um, that would come in and and turn them into Alabama. I mean, there's just some of that's just not realistic. So, um, This is going to be, by the way, Brian Kelly's fourth top-five finish as a head coach. It's pretty good. It's, it was already his, um, well, <laughs> if they hadn't played a conference championship game, it would have been his fourth undefeated regular season. So, guy knows what he's doing. Uh, he got he, he, he had that one really rough year, bounced back from it. The, the Notre Dame football program is in the best shape it's been since Lou Holtz. And Lou Holtz did win a national title, but man, was that a, just a different era of college football. I mean, there's this. There, Ohio State is the first team 
not in the South, to reach the national title game in six years. And they were the last ones to do it, them and Oregon. Like, it's just not that this, the power of this sport is in, so concentrated in the South now that, I mean, it's hard enough for Notre Dame, a school in Indiana, to, that has to recruit nationally to, to compete with those guys, right? So, I mean, I think you're seeing the possibly the best case scenario for Notre Dame football in 2020, 2021 is to be doing exactly what they're doing right now. Yeah, and look, they also have had this point where they, you know, back when you're talking about Lou Holtz, it was a different era. That that was a, that was, at that point, it was a big deal to have a, a national TV deal. That's right. Now it is not uh, because everybody's on national TV. So and the playing field is tilted the other way. But um, yeah, it's. I don't know. I mean, look, I think today would today turned to be an enter, really, really entertaining day. Um, I don't want to, I just while we're talking about it, um, your hometown Cincinnati Bearcats acquitted themselves really well. It didn't go the way they obviously hoped it would go. Credit to <laughs> credit to a kicker, Jeff, Jack Pelosi, hitting a 53-yard field goal to basically win the game. Um, but that... You know, like, I don't know. I watched Cincinnati and thought they are a great, uh, a great example of why this should be an expanded playoff. Like, they deserve to have, a, have more of a chance to actually win a national title. I'm not saying they would have, but they at least, des- like, let's not have this charade that they actually have a chance because they're, they're proof that they actually have no chance when they don't even, you know, have a sniff of it. Yeah, I mean... <laughs> If the, if the committee had to do another set of rankings, do you think Florida would would, would fall behind them yet or no? Uh, I mean, no. Seriously, I would I would imagine Florida at this point yeah. would be behind them, but well, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, well, here's the thing, and, and Pete Thamel pointed this out on Twitter, and it's true. This was the case for Boise State back in the day, TCU. You have to have the case for it was the case for Houston when they beat Florida State. To me, that was the biggest example of that. You have to, and unfortunately, if you're a group of five team, you have to do it twice in a row, at least. So so this season for Cincinnati becomes, and, and they didn't win the game, but if anybody watched it, should should come away feeling you know a lot of respect for them. Next year, Cincinnati plays at Notre Dame and at Indiana. Those two teams are both ranked in the top 11 right now. Um, so... So next, so 2020, they didn't, they were never taken seriously this year. But if, if next year they were to beat, uh, certainly if they were to beat Notre Dame, but I think even also Indiana, um, like there hasn't been a, t- a group of five team that that won non-conference games of that, uh, of, of those kind of respected opponents. Like UCF beat Georgia Tech, I think, or Pitt, somebody like that. None of these teams that made the New Year's Six beat a Notre Dame. So to me, that would be a different... Um, element to it. If you remember the Houston team that beat Oklahoma in the season opener um, and then crushed Lamar Jackson and Louisville, that team didn't finish the deal. Like if that team had gone undefeated, I think they probably would have reached the playoff with that resume, but um, they lost to some, they lost some AAC games. So it's interesting, but it shouldn't have to be that way. You shouldn't have to prove yourself two years in a row to get the bid. Agreed. Uh, okay. Anything else you want to get to before we wrap up this 
Not too late night edition. It feels way better than it normally does, by the way. I mean, this I feel like we're we're stealing paychecks right now that we're here, you know, I was eating ice cream in my kitchen about 45 minutes ago at the end of that game instead of like running around like a madman trying to interview players on the field. Um well, can I give a little bit of a shout out to my alma mater, uh, but in particular to their defensive coordinator, Mike Hankowitz, uh, 400th. So this was his last game. He's retiring. He's been in a DC for 33 years. Sorry. He's been a yeah DC for 33 years. I mean, people may remember that name. He was at Texas A&M. He was at Colorado. He was at a bunch of places, but I mean, in his last year, they Look, look, <laughs> that defense held Ohio State to 22 points, and they uh, handled Auburn today, won the Citrus Bowl, and sent him out a winner. And I just thought it was really cool how they, um, I mean, they gave him the Gatorade bath. Pat Fitzgerald let him do the postgame interview. Like, they, they made it all about him, and I thought that was really cool to see. I agree. I agree. I mean, just an amazing career, and uh couldn't have gone out a better way on a New Year's Day bowl and everything like that. And, you know, I think it's pretty awesome. That's, that's, um, you know, he's one of those figures that I think a lot of times people will, you know, you've heard the name cause he'd been so many different places, but I think a lot of times, sometimes, you know, people knew Bud Foster's name and, but you don't always hear some of the assistants, especially if it's an out of the school that's like playing for national titles necessarily. So, Salute to him and Stu. I think we should probably tee up another episode later this week. Send your emails to theaudiblepod at gmail.com. We'll load up on them in the next episode. We'll see you next time.